Welcome to the Industry Insider, brought to you by Promo Corner. Each week, promotional product professionals Meg Erber, Jeff Franklin, and Stephen McFadden, along with special guests, will discuss industry news, trends, and events with a focus on educating the promotional products industry. The Industry Insider, the nerdy news you need to know. Welcome back to yet another exciting episode of the Industry Insider, your promotional products podcast where you can get all the nerdy news you need to know about. My name is Jeff Franklin, National Accounts Manager with Headwear USA, and I'm joined today by three other lovely folks. But of course, before we get to them, we got to tell you about our fine sponsors for today. Good friends over at Bell Promo, uh, the home of the 12-piece minimum on everything. They offer simplified pricing, one low setup, and never repeat setups regardless of the number of colors, locations, or decoration method. Bell Promo has the largest inventory of product styles and colors, and in top categories like drinkware, bags, writing instruments, and apparel. Bell Promo offers free samples and was one of the 2021 best places to work. So be the reason someone smiles today and go check them out at bellpromo.com. That's B-E-L-P-R-O-M-O.com. Tell them the Industry Insider sent you. Why don't we say hey to Stephen McFadden today? How are you doing, man? You're looking good. Hair is spiky. You know, we're, uh, I hear you've got some good news about a, a little, little bit of a, a trip that... Uh, yeah, I'm going on uh, the promo cruise in, uh, what's that, like a month and a half. Um, so I just figured just... I'd throw that in there because I know Meg's really salty about it. So, you know. <laughs> you know, I was trying to let some time pass from when I just told her, you know, a few minutes ago, so maybe she wouldn't be mad at me. And then you had to just bring her right back up. So That's what I do. Yeah. yeah. That's what I do. Uh, so where that. are you guys going on the cruise? Tell, tell us about it. Oh, geez. You're asking me to pull the itinerary here i know it's uh goes out of fort uh fort lauderdale i believe or orlando um no it goes out of the orlando it's going out of uh iowa no it's uh <laughs> it's orlando i know we go to orlando then we go uh i think it's eastern caribbean so it's nassau um the k what is it the coco coco k yeah and then <laughs> one other stop. So I'm, I'm excited. I've, I've done lots of cruising, uh, but nothing like this. I've never combined work and, cru and cruise before. So yeah, it should be fun. Neither has Meg actually. Yeah, neither have I. Yeah. And it <laughs> sounds like she isn't going to anytime soon. So that's, nope, uh... nope. <laughs> Look, all we're doing is creating promo FOMO so that we make sure Meg's on the next one. That's yeah. all there is to it. All there is to it. Meg Erber, since we brought you up so much already, why don't we say hi to you? How are you doing? I'm doing great. So over the weekend, um, something interesting happened. I'll just talk about it very quickly. My daughter brought home her first boyfriend that we got to meet and we had dinner with him. That was different. <laughs> it's the youngest, not Hattie, but the youngest out of all of them. So was, uh, was VJ shining the guns as the boy came through? I, the was, I was like, nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> and you were wearing terrified. your, and you were, you were wearing your brawny flannel. You know, yes, so I to was. scare the guys off. I was. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. Well, we are joined today by a very special guest, Bobby LaHue with Commons Q. Really excited to talk about, um, you know, the topic for today. But before we get into the topic, Bobby, it is customary for us to give our special guest a good three to four minutes to introduce yourself and maybe how you got started in the promotional products industry and uh, what you've been up to since. So take it away, sir. Ah, just a blank space, right? Nothing a writer loves more than a blank page. Um <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. I am so glad I, we ran, ran each other in Vegas. You were sitting there doing your like pri prioritizing your year and talking about 
what topics and I happened to wander by and you snagged me. So thank you. And by the way, I know what producing a weekly show uh, is like. So it's a lot of hard work for those that don't do it. And so kudos to you guys for continuing this journey that you've been on. Oh, thank you, Bobby. Uh, so yes, my name is Bobby Lehue. I'm the Chief Content Officer at CommonSkew, the platform that makes production process orders and commerce easy in this business, which as we know is a very cluster, it's a very complex business. <laughs> um, I was a distributor uh, before joining CommonSkew. Um, I was a distributor for about, for about 15 years. I was the CEO of a distributorship that was based out of Oklahoma City. And what we focused on fulfillment, e-commerce, uh, programs and uh, really large company store programs. Um, and so that was my background, which led the, the funny thing is my, my role was a um, more of an ops role uh, being over a business that was both warehousing, fulfillment, merchandise, print. And so it was a very ops role, but Mark and Catherine Graham knew I was a creative person in an ops role. And they knew that um, as they were growing common skew, that they would have a significant content focus. And so they asked me to join the team to lead that effort. And it really helped because it helped me understand um, the background of distributors and what they're going to. And the funny thing is that none of us could have seen, it's not funny, it's just ironic that none of us could have seen is that prior to the pandemic, there was like less than 5% of distributors who were doing what we were doing, kidding, packaging, fulfillment, e-commerce, all of that. And then pandemic happens and suddenly everybody's doing it. So what I thought was very old school experience um, has now become far more relevant than ever. So it's ironic that I find my relevance growing <laughs> in the business because everybody's in this part of the business now. So there you go. I, I couldn't, I don't know if I'd summed that up very well for you. You can ask me questions if I need to clarify. No, I think it's great. It's, I think it's, funny awesome. you it's funny you mentioned that we we were kind of having a reflection period too, thinking back right before COVID and in 19, uh, right before COVID, I remember be, feeling like we were very experimental and saying, okay, well, what if we did like new hire kits and like package them and ship them out and like, <laughs> right. let's dedicate like this little shelf area here to, to it. And little did we know, you know, three, four months later, if you looked at our warehouse, it's like, Yes. all of its shelves now and we have three more places it's like holy smokes yeah, <laughs> so, yeah it's, it's wild. crazy yeah i just published an, uh, an article today on how the complexity has changed with some graphs and charts yeah. that show how it used to be this linear process you know client would place an order for the distributor distributor place the order with the supplier and then client will receive it thank you and now it's far more complex than it ever has been so so Bobby, I have a question for you. Um, yes. At your distributorship, you said you were more in the operations role. So now, you being the chief content officer, when did you see that switch? When did that switch flip when you started doing storytelling and becoming this content creator? Really great question. I wish I would have brought it for sure and show and tell, but I have the very first product where the sort of the light went on for me. So we were struggling with our marketing. As a distributor, we're struggling with our marketing. We were taking supplier product promotions and flyers and things like that and just sort of vomiting them out on our audience, right? So we would get this week's sale or this month's whatever, and we would just push that stuff to our audience. And what I realized as a distributor, so we were working with um, corporate clients. And so they had a pretty sophisticated marketing team pretty sophisticated um, Marcom community. And our target market was the marketing communications professionals. So we had to really up our game in terms of our marketing. So as we were doing this, we realized, you know, our emails weren't doing anything. Nothing was really performing. And I had a client invite me out to talk about a project. They were opening a brand new museum 
and they wanted to do a gift for their donors. And I'll never forget when it occurred to me because um, it's rare that you get to sit down with like the, uh, I wasn't with the marketing team, I was with the, the administrator who was over the entire museum. And she went through the story of how they started and the, the donors and did this rare thing where she talked through the whole project with me and not just, hey, get us some, get us some letter openers. And it made me realize, wow, if we could tie the story of this museum's opening to this piece and then craft that in a narrative form for our email newsletters, we might actually get those things opened and read. So we tried it. And I'll never forget the, the, the moment where I realized that storytelling works is when the um, vice president, actually she's the EVP uh, of a huge company, our number one client never opened our emails, started opening our emails. And then about six months later said to me when I saw her out uh, in a meeting, she said, hey, you guys are really growing. Fact of the matter was we weren't really growing. We were just getting better at sharing projects that we were doing for multiple clients. So the perception was that we were growing, growing. But it was fantastic because the other thing we did, we started like dropping actual client names, which was rare back then with actual buyer names, which was really interesting because since we sold to the Marcom community, some of these people knew each other or they knew their brands. And so it was just like a little glimpse, but it went, we went from let's push product to let's push story and see what happens. Yeah, Stephen, prior to the show starting, had a really good example. Um, Stephen, why don't you talk about that? Because it, it, it paints a really good picture. It's about just the rally towel, right? Or the terrible mm. towel. Oh man, but I'm basically yeah. stealing Bobby's story. By, oh, sorry, by so it was story. Bobby's story. I oh, apologize. Tell it better, <laughs> so, all right, so here's, here's what happened. So uh, I, I went, I can't remember what it was. I think it was a Comiskey uh, uh, Sessions. Uh, I think it was in Los Angeles and you were there and you were talking about, um, if this is, if I'm remembering correctly, you were talking about the art of storytelling and how to sell using storytelling. And we actually had you do some, you know, send us some stuff and it was, it was awesome. Why well, then kind of, it's always stuck with me, this, this visual of storytelling. And I did my best Bobby Lehu impression when I went and did a college class and talked about I think one of the easiest examples, which is the rally towel and specifically the, the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers rally towel, Jeff. Um, I mean, so, is there really another terror, another, another rally towel? No, I don't know. Um, so anyways, I, I, I showed two graphics just like Bobby did when in the session and showed one picture of the traditional rally towel product picture of here's a rally towel and all the little tiny rally towels next to it and asked, you know, what do people think? And, you know, it's met just like you would think, like, yeah. cool. Like, what is this? These are colorful squares. You know, like there's really nothing you can see that, that elicits any emotion. And so then I flashed to the picture of, of, a, of full Pittsburgh Steelers stadium and everyone going crazy with their terrible towels. And um, the reactions with that are just so much different because it tells the story of, you know, mm -hmm. I bet Jeff, you probably have one still, don't you? Like, oh, so, I, I have mean, at least a dozen of them. Actually. Right. And and you can probably remember, OK, I got this at the game or there was this going on or there was a play. I mean, the, the product connects you back to that moment and that feeling. And that's the whole point of storytelling with product. If you can get your customers to start thinking about what they're doing with the item and where they are and what emotions elicited, it just it's so much better to sell that way because that's how you can get ROI and ROE. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. 
so yeah, that was that was the example. Did I do a good? Did I do it justice? Yeah, Bobby? absolutely, it? absolutely. It's just the visual. It's always the visual. Sports merchandise to me is always an easy way to get it. It is, yeah. Right. We we it took us a long time, I think, to tie corporate branded merchandise with what's happening in the consumer market. And I think when we tie those together, I think our audience goes, oh, oh, we get it now. Mm -hmm. It cool. is a um, it, you know one question I have about storytelling, and this is. This is, I have roadblocks with it a lot of times because it's hard to figure out the story sometimes when you're, we're so used to in our industry going product and solution first. Storytelling is the end almost. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's what happens after the product's been delivered. And so it's like, how do you, how do you go into markets where the story isn't as easy? Like in sports, sports is easy. I can go to the stadium, I can take pictures yeah. of the tailgate, you know, pictures of the families. That's an easy one. How do you do it um, and how do you t teach people to do it or what's your advice when you want to do this in markets that are a little more complicated, you know, or don't quite have yeah. that mass picture, you know, that you can present? Yeah. I, I think the, the challenge that we have with storytelling is we think that it should have some dramatic climax or that it should be a dramatic mm -hmm. story, which is not the case at all. Um, in fact, um, it, the, the sooner we can break away from that the better for our storytelling, because really what we're doing is we're just telling stories about projects, how projects happen. For example, um, in our industry, there are probably three or four perspectives. And once we understand point of view and perspective, we can really unlock story. So when I ask a distributor, like, what's your best, tell me, tell me your best story, client story. They'll start to talk about their client story. What's funny is they don't even realize it, but they're talking about the story from the, from their perspective, like how difficult it was, how hard it was to source the project, what the client needed, how the client was happy. And without even knowing I asked for the client story, they didn't share the client story, they shared their story. And that's, that's a valid story. That's like, I'm a distributor. That's my perspective and my point of view. There's the manufacturer side. So Meg knows there's on that project that there's the supplier story how difficult it was to turn it, what they had to do on the factory floor. And then there's the client story, the client buyer, actually, the buyer story, why the buyer thought it was important, why the buyer thought it was important for this project, the budget, all of those kinds of things. And then there's the end user story. So we've got four different points of view, four different points of view for that one single story. The other thing, Stephen, is that um, the where a story has power is not in how dramatic it is. In fact, you can take the simplest story. It's, it's how it's resonance. So for example, mm -hmm. since we do, uh, so we have distributor customers all the time, share their testimony or their story. It can be a little 30 second window where a distributor is talking about how they engaged common skew and it completely simplified their work life, completely simplified their, their work, work and their team. And the, the language they use gets emotional. It gets around how the fact that it made it easier. We were so frustrated before. And it's that moment of resonance that, that really is the power of the story. Because no matter what industry it is, whether it's insurance, technology, the merchant industry, we have a luxurious opportunity for story because it's a fun business. But yeah. no matter what, it's about really audience resonance. People understanding that, uh, hearing that perspective and going, oh, I get it. That's us too. You know, as, as you're mentioning that, I I've, was thinking back to some times where I've used storytelling myself from my perspective to win new business as opposed mm -hmm. to right. help them execute a project. Um, you know, like we, we get asked all the time, you know, um, 
or, or we want to show examples of how we've gone above and beyond for customers sometimes, yes, right? Exactly. Because they want to right. know. And so I'll, inevitably I, I pull, you know, in my, my brain just goes to orders that have gone awry and just the crazy yeah. things that we've ended up having to do to make sure that they follow through. That in itself is a, are some great stories of, you know, things yeah. getting rerouted on airplanes and picking stuff up in exactly. horse trailers. And, and they're yeah. like, they're like, <laughs> Holy smokes, you did all that for your customers. I'm like, yeah, right. I remember driving in a pickup truck and a horse show with hay flying out of it, yes. delivering water exactly. bottles to the Susan G. Komen race. Like, and they're like, yeah. Oh, wow. So that's, that's one perspective of the story. I, I almost feel like people miss, right? Like that's very important to selling your business as Absolutely. opposed to selling a project. Yeah, what you, and what you just said there, what you just did, because you intuitively, as a as a professional who's been at the game a long time, you did situational storytelling. You knew in that moment yeah. which story to sort of pull from your your filing cabinet, mental filing cabinet for that particular situation. Mm. And the same can go for a supplier who's talking with a distributor about how they yeah. rescue distributor client. I mean, it can, it can work so many different ways. Um, but situational storytelling, once we sort of organize a small bank it doesn't have to be big but a small bank of stories from which to draw down on like what experience gives you yeah that's when you can understand which story do i deploy at what time and in what situation and it comes across naturally once you have yeah. more of those stories in your head so how do you know what's going to be relatable and and so that you can make sure that whatever story you're telling does resonate with the audience great question jeff i i, I think it has to really be this part of storytelling we don't talk about a lot is there are two things about storytelling we don't talk about a lot. One is editing and the other is research because neither are sexy, but they're far more important <laughs> than the actual delivery of the story. Um, so research would be vitally important. So you're about to go into a prospect meeting. You have to know everything you can about that customer, everything possible about that customer you can before you sit down and have the conversation. Um, and that sort of gives you that power. You have to know kind of where they're at as an industry, not just their client, the client, but their industry, what they might be struggling with. Is it growing? Is it lagging? So having that kind of research um, kind of gives you the insight, I think, into some of the problems they, they might have, um, as well as maybe that editing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use, and I, I'm just going to make up a word called pre-editing. Um, when, when, when we do interviews with folks, we have a choice, whether it's video or audio, we have a choice. We can do post-editing to find the story, or we can do pre-editing to do the story. Post-editing is very, very expensive. So I'll give you an example for video. Um, you have a choice. You can either contact the customer and have a quick pre-chat. We do this all the time. I do pre-chats with folks all the time, 15 minute pre-chat, um, and ask them about their challenges, their passions. And then we do it really fast. And you sort of start to get a sense of what the story could be or how what, what their challenges are. And that's what I like to call pre-editing. Because then by the time you get to the conversation, then you, you've had an idea of where you're going with everything and you're able to edit on the fly. Now, if you just had a two-hour conversation with somebody and then you tried to trim that down to a 10-minute story, you've got a mess on your hands. Mm. So I don't know if I answered your question there, Jeff, but I think it has to do with those two things, the researching and the, the editing. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, too, because like you said, not only is post-editing really expensive, it's very time-consuming, which yeah. I guess would, would lead to why it's, you know, partially expensive just because, I mean, it's just, like you said, <clears throat> if you're taking two hours worth of video and trying to chop that down to, you know, a couple-minute video, you know, mm -hmm. you can imagine you got to watch through all that, you got to slice everything up, you've got to make sure that you've got the right stuff at the right moment and all that. Yeah. I mean, it's very time-consuming, so. Yeah. I want to add, too, this. I, I 
I have gone as far as to say storytelling is editing. <clears throat> that is where the power is at. I mean, you look at a documentary and the years people spend on a documentary, you look at a film, we see the final output and we think because we experience it spontaneously that it was crafted, crafted spontaneously, but we all know it was a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. So I think storytelling is editing at its most powerful moment and the more, but it's just not sexy enough, right? Mm -hmm. right? As some of the other things about stories. Are exact facts like really important when you're storytelling or as long as you're just, you know, kind of hitting along that path and it, it really doesn't matter if it skews a little bit. Does um, that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense because a lot of fiction writers and a lot of, um, a lot of directors would say that, you know, facts are this malleable thing, but I, emotions for B to B emotions are far more important for everybody. Emotions are far more important, but it's finally B to B is really catching on the fact that about like Steven's example of those fans, everybody felt that. Right. Especially if you are a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, um, you feel that energy. And so we or you're talking about a story where you rescued a project from disaster, that customer and that prospect can feel that energy. So I think that the emotions are far more important. The facts are important. You rescued the project. The emotions are far more important to focus on because I don't think we focus on them enough. And I think as far as content, what I've seen a lot of times is the content that's showing the behind the scenes or the backstory oh, or the yeah. bloopers, yeah. that's actually telling the whole story of how that yeah. was produced. And I feel like that gets so much more, mm. uh, a bigger reach, maybe more interactions, more leverage when it comes to the product itself, because people enjoy that. It really humanizes the person who's trying to sell it or push it. Um, so it was my little tidbit, but I have a question. So what advice would you give to people? Because I know... You had reached out to me and so did um, Mark at one point a long time ago and asked me to do your the Skucon stories. And, and you you sat me down and maybe that's where the background, I know the background from. And you were like, listen, right. we're going to tell a story. And you kind of walked right. me through it. Is this um, the one where you were muted in the beginning? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. <laughs> like a whole story about how that, that was like an entire crazy experience. Um, what advice would you give our listeners? You know, this, this episode in particular goes to supplier, sales reps, and distributor um, and marketing mm -hmm. people, everyone that's listening. So what advice would you give to somebody that's really looking to incorporate storytelling into their sales pitches, but like, do they just don't know how or where to start? Um, the first place to start is understand that for story, the professional that has been at this a while needs the power in the vehicle of story more than the amateur. The amateur naturally goes to story because they're desperate. If you've ever been in a selling situation when you were sort of green, you like went to story and you didn't even realize you did because we've been telling stories since we were knee high. The pro needs it because they have so much information in their head. You think about Steven's role. Uh, as a distributor and the fact that from e-commerce to packing to, to merchandising, kidding and design, and you think of it, this is the way we can get into the products, the products, you have so much information in it, we, end, we end up word vomiting those out on our customer's desk or out to them. And then the supplier side, you have so many processes, so many products, so many things. So I think the key is to channel in on a pretty finite moment. In, in your journey. So like Meg, when our, we do at SKUCon, we have customer stories or stories where folks are sharing um, just stories from their journey. Um, I, I like to in a pre-chat, just ask them, you know, what is it, what is it about your journey? Like help them unpack it. What is it they're most proud of? What is it that, that, that touches you emotionally? What is it that you're passionate about right now? That's usually a, a little marker for it. So I think the more you ask yourself questions about it, the better. And then for the pros, we have this like wide 
swath of information that we have to actually drill down into some kind of finite experience. So the more finite, the better. So if that means you getting up to tell a story, you know, in most TED Talks, they're about eight, they're, TED Talks are 18 minutes. There's a great um, Chris Anderson video on there about how to do an effective TED Talk. And it's really powerful because it because the more finite you get with your story, the more potency you're going to have and the more relatability you're going to have. Did that answer your question, May? Yeah, I think so. It was really good. Um, I know doing public speaking, it's, it's, you know, I go to women's leadership conferences and all these different big, big things when people are telling these stories. And the ones, the speakers that are really good, they're telling a story that, and then they circle it back at the end and they, they wrap it up in a nice little bow. And I feel like that's, yeah, those are the best stories. Um, do you advise that at the end, like wrapping it up a little bow and kind of kind of circling it back to the very beginning and like that? I don't know. Yeah, I do. I do. I always I never really felt that way. Catherine Graham actually helped me with that one because she was really big into that. And and what what I now tell folks that are going to tell a story, so for example, at SKUCon, is end with either this emotional denouement, this emotional moment that we're all going to understand together and experience, or it can be very practical. Here are the three things. Here are the things I talked about for the past 18 minutes. Here are the three things I recommend that you do. It's a really simple tactic, but it works because it sort of helps people go, okay, because I'm one of the worst when I speak and I'd be like, here's all these 200 ideas that you should implement. And then I walk away and go, good luck, everybody. And that's, <laughs> not, the, that's not the way you do it. You know, it, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, difference between pro and amateur in the industry. And, and I think we do get so focus, you know, we're, we're training new folks now and we're so focused on getting them to learn the, you know, the things about the industry. And at a certain point, we, we all of our salespeople will look at them and we say, you're not going to know every product, you know, like yeah. there's just no right. way. Right. Yes. It's, and that's, exactly. it's almost not important, you know, that you do. Yeah. And I, I've, as you've been talking, thinking about some of the most successful, you know, new business we've gathered and it always started with me telling some random story that has something to do with promo, maybe not at all, but it gets me in the door. And then they're like, all right, well, tell me a little bit about the details now. Right? Then you, then you dial into the, the facts that you've had in your brain for that. You've been wanting to tell them the whole time, uh, but you didn't have the opportunity until you kind of broke it down on a personal level and yeah. created that empathy there. So, yeah. yeah. I, by the way, I think the hardest part for us, because there's a lot of extroverts in this business or there are introverts who, who are, are ambiverts or either extroverts or ambiverts um, is the um, hardest part for our industry is not the execution of a story. It's not the telling. It's not that part of it. It's the gathering. It's the making it important. It's getting that into your ecosystem as a business to understand because yeah. storytelling is not just a salesperson experience. It's actually everyone's experience from yeah. customer service to getting, if you can get your front lines and other people engaged and in, in, say the factory floor, some project that comes along, somebody saw this would happen in our distributorship. Some, sometimes our order processing team would actually say, Hey, Bobby, have you seen this project? Cause the salesperson didn't tell me about it. And, and they would say, do you see this project? It's, it's, um, it's for, uh, OE, it's for PBS. You should check this out. Oh, that's a cool project. And so you sort of get your story signal on for the entire organization. Then you'll be able to gather them. But that's the hard part. The hard part is actually making it important enough to gather, edit, and create this sort of cadre of, uh, this collection of stories that you can use. All right, I have kind of a loaded question, Bobby. Okay. Do you think storytelling is now more important than it was pre-COVID? I do because uh, what, what I think it, what I wouldn't say is it's not been more important or less important. What I would say is there's now more emotional resonance. Yeah. So 
we you, people are think now more um i can use the word tender-hearted and open to the emotional part of the story it's something it did something to us um and you know uh, you, you guys know that i um helped marketing props helped craft my storytelling because they forced me several years ago when i was with robin to work on this topic for them and so we did it for our business and then i started doing this as uh, for marketing process workshops so i got to talk to insurance and finance and all of these boring industries boring industries which there's no really no such thing and they would always say the same thing we are our, our products so boring i don't know how to, we don't know how to package this but post um pandemic i think the emotional resonant resonance is so strong and it's easier now to find the story and the emotional resonance I, I was going to lean into that a little bit. It feels like because of how we're doing deliverables and experiential things and things in their homes with their kids, with their families, yeah, the sure. opportunity for stories has grown exponentially compared to pre-COVID. But um, that was just my perspective. I wasn't sure if that seems like pretty universal mm -hmm. in the industry now. So Very, very. Very cool. Meg, you got a follow-up question? Just one question for, for Bobby. What are you reading right now, Bobby? You know, I just finished Cormac McCarthy's um, his first book called The Passenger, and I'm starting to read um, Stella Maris. And the uh, the reason I also think is important for context we have to, we're gonna we're gonna be done in like 30 seconds, aren't we? Um, so it's it's really uh, a buddy of mine read read this, and he's he has a he's a film degree, and he said, "Hey, I, I didn't care for the first one. Um, I really loved the second one, and I had the opposite experience. I loved the first novel, and I'm I'm into the middle of the second. The reason why I bring it up is because it's all about resonance." Robert McKee, the, uh, the screenwriting consultant to Hollywood said, two people can walk into a movie and walk out and one of them loved the movie, one hated it. The reason is because somebody empathized with somebody in the novel. You empathize with a character. I know we're out of time. But no, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah, I love no. that. I really love that. I really do. That's what I'm reading, Meg. How about y'all? Do we have time for y'all to yeah. um, say what you I want? actually didn't get a chance to read this last book, but I just listened to, you guys are going to think I'm so hokey because I listened to all that like self-help stuff, but I just listened to um, we never die by Matt Frazier. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like to connect with my light workers. <laughs> I'm, I'm not familiar with that. I know, but I'm reading something similar by Pima Chodron, if I'm pronouncing her name right. Um, how we live basically. It's a okay. Story. Yeah. It's all in that whole thing. Yeah. I had a loss a couple of years ago and struggle mm. with, with that. And these books kind of yeah. help. So yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Steve and Jeff, what are you guys reading? Anything back, back to the cereal box? What? <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, so just had a conversation with Tony Lametti the other day, and he turned me on to a book called Never Split the Difference. So I've just started mm -hmm. that, um, you know, so I don't, I'm not, I don't have, you know, a whole lot of detail. It's cool yet, title. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really good so far. Yeah, it's a an FBI uh, negotiator, actually. Stephen, you'd probably be turning I was going to say, I, I actually, cool. shameless plug, when I got my Harvard degree in negotiating during uh, COVID, because uh, they had that ability where you could take free classes at Ivy League schools. Um, we went through that book. So, oh, interesting. Uh, what was the title, Jeff? Yeah. Uh, it's it's called Never, Never, split, split, the the difference. Difference. Never split the Difference. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. I like those kind of books too. So I'll have to check that out. So thank you, Jeff. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, all right. Yeah. So and if you need leave. a if you need an Ivy League, you know, uh, accredited uh, person <laughs> in negotiating, just let me know. I'm happy awesome, to man. Um, I'm actually doing uh, the Bible in 90 days. Uh, challenge nice. thing. I haven't I, done it all the way through. I've, you know, obviously I've read a ton of it, but I was like, I wonder if I could do it cover to cover. 
And so I found a program and it's in 90 days and it's aggressive, but, um, yeah, that's very aggressive. I mean, doing yeah. it in 365 days is, is a lot, but Those letters are small. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm like, like eight, nine days in, I, it says yeah. I'm one day behind. So, yeah. um, if, if the genealogies play. don't get you, Leviticus will. Well, that's, that's the right. thing. Like, it, you know, right. uh, you know, Leviticus, Exodus numbers when it's just, I mean, I can skip <laughs> chapters in there cause I'm like, all right, right. okay, next, next, next. <laughs> so, Right. So, oh, Bobby, yeah. thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate no, it. This is really eye-opening. Yeah, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Yeah, so definitely you. awesome. And I think storytelling, like you said, is super relevant and uh, can can definitely help anybody, uh, you know, improve in their pitch, improve their uh, relationships, and all that good stuff. So, listen, if you guys really like this broadcast, it was brought to you by our good friends over at Bell Promo. So go be sure to show them some love. They are the home of the twelve-piece minimum on everything. They offer simplified pricing, one low setup, and uh, Never repeat setups, regardless of the number of colors, locations, or decoration method. Bell Promo has the largest inventory of product, styles, and colors, and in categories or top categories like drinkware, bags, writing instruments, and apparel. Uh, they offer spree, free samples uh, and uh, was one of the 2021 best places to work. So be the reason someone smiles today and go check them out at bellpromo.com. Tell them the Industry Insider sent you. Bobby, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you uh, it was an awesome episode. Really appreciate your time and, and your, uh, your input. It's good so, to see you all. All right, guys, until next time, we'll see you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Promo Corner's Industry Insider. For more great content from industry thought leaders, including podcasts, blogs, and videos, visit promocorner.com.